0: Money afm 89.3 Best of Breakfast Morning Shot Welcome to The Breakfast Show. I'm Ryan Huang. The US Senate has announced a stopgap measure to prevent an imminent government shutdown. So 6 Additional weeks. That's how long the House, Democrats, and Republicans have to iron out differences over budget legislation. It also earmarks about $6 billion in short term funding for Ukraine and $6 billion for domestic disasters. So, with just days until funding expires at midnight on September 30th in the US, the White House is girding itself for a shutdown. If lawmakers fail to reach a resolution, much of the government will stop all non-essential functions. Leaving federal services in limbo and millions of employees without their paychecks, it does look like a bit of a movie we've seen before. For more insights, we're joined by Jonathan Wood, Principal for Global Issues at Control Risks. Good morning, Jonathan. How are you doing today? Good morning. Very well, thank you. and pleased to be with you. Hey, thank you for joining us. So let's take a look at how things have been playing out so far. What's your take? How close are we to seeing a resolution?
1: Well, unfortunately, we are getting closer by the hour. A federal government shutdown is now the most likely scenario. There's not much time left, just three days here in Washington. Uh, and to that Senate compromise, well, it appears as though House Republicans have rejected that approach, at least initially. And maybe even a small but possibly decisive faction of those House Republicans seem to prefer a shutdown to mm. any compromise that's uh, bipartisan in nature.
0: Yeah, so lots of politics involved. And we've seen this play out before. Can the U.S. economy afford a shutdown? I mean, this is kind of backdrop? backdrop. For how long can they afford a shutdown?
1: Well, that's really a big question. Undoubtedly, a shutdown has negative impacts on the economy that increase over time. But a short shutdown can certainly be absorbed by this relatively strong U.S. economy. The longer the shutdown continues, however, the more significant the economic hit. And by some estimates, this could reduce U.S. uh, GDP output by up to 0.2 percent per week Mm. as long as it lasts. Okay, let's talk about implications
0: when it comes to what might happen. So we had the U.S. narrowly avoiding a possible debt default just months ago in June, and now we've got this. What do you think is going to be the possible implications on the U.S. economy as well as perceptions of the credit worthiness of where the U.S. government is right now? Because we've seen from some of the ratings agencies talking about downgrades, and we've seen one uh, not too long ago in August, Fitch Ratings downgrading the government's credit rating. How do you think this is going to play out?
1: Exactly right. I mean, this shutdown could damage the U.S. economy in kind of four major ways. Uh, The first is that it immediately removes all of that money from paychecks of federal employees to payments to federal contractors from the economy for Mm -hmm. as long as it lasts. It damages, you know, consumer and investor confidence, which is already starting to look a little bit fragile as a result of persistently high inflation. And and exactly as you say, uh, even threatens the, the U.S.'s sovereign credit rating. has been downgraded now twice over debt ceiling confrontations, and and this could well push it over the edge for that third ratings agency. And it comes at a very delicate economic moment when the, um, you know, the Fed is trying to engineer a soft landing for the economy. One thing that's, you know, you point out about federal government services. If there is a shutdown and if it lasts into the first week of October, some of those key economic indicators like unemployment and inflation that the Fed would rely upon to make its decisions would be delayed in their production.
0: All right. Well, in conversation with Jonathan Wood, he is the principal for global issues that control risks. Now, Jonathan, beyond the macroeconomic consequences, we know that the impasse could have also repercussions on the Ukraine war. So this comes on the back of the meeting between US President Joe Biden and his counterpart, President Vladimir Zelensky. What's your reading of the ramifications of any eventual decision that could happen?
1: This is a really critical point. Funding for Ukraine is a major sticking point in these negotiations. There's a significant fraction of Republicans in the House of Representatives, perhaps over 100 lawmakers, will oppose additional funding for Ukraine. Conversely, as you mentioned, the U.S. Senate is much more strongly supportive of Ukraine. It has, uh, as, you, as you point out, mm-hmm. suggested a short-term funding of about $6 billion. The important thing is that this funding, either way, in, in whatever amount, is essential to Ukraine. President Zelensky reportedly told senators when he was in Washington that Ukraine might lose the war without continued U.S. support. And the U.S. is by far Ukraine's most important um, diplomatic and military backer. And most of that initial short-term funding would be earmarked for military assistance, uh, assistance to Ukraine.
0: Yeah, so it does look like one of the big sticking points is going to be Ukraine. Walk us through what are going to be some of the stuff they have to get by as well in terms of obstacles. I'm seeing that the flow of migrants is also a big issue here.
1: Absolutely. One of the policy provisions that Republicans in the House of Representatives would like to attach to any budget or spending deal is tighter control of the southern U.S. border. Mm -hmm. And there are other policy provisions as well that are making this negotiation extremely uh, challenging and difficult. We've moved, in fact, from, you know, some years ago when these discussions were mainly about U.S. spending and debt to the point where they are now often as much about other non-spending related policy priorities. And that makes these types of stalemates even more intractable.
0: Yeah, and we've got some analysts saying that the roots of what's happening today actually had um, some foundation from what played out many years ago, starting in the 1970s. So this dysfunction dates back to some of the critical decisions made back then. Do you agree with that view that this was a long time in the making and this could maybe explain why the American government has been going into crisis time and again over its budget?
1: Yeah, it does go back decades. I mean, when you look at the federal government shutdowns and funding gaps that occurred in the 1980s and 1990s, many of these were really short events. They were one, two, three. Three days maximum, mm-hmm. and that does go back a long time. But probably the more significant development, the one that's more relevant to our current situation here, is what happened in the 1990s when the opposition Republican Party at that time uh, weaponized both the debt ceiling and federal spending in an effort to obtain spending cuts. We saw that story play out again twice uh, during the Obama administration in 2011 and 2013. And it actually worked once uh, when when the administration agreed to quite steep cuts in federal expenditure in 2011. Um, So now we're at this point at which There's some suggestion that these tactics may be effective when even with a very narrow Republican majority in Congress, a small faction can still control the agenda and can still push um, their desire for certain policies on spending or or other areas. And that's where we are now. And there has been a breakdown in bipartisan cooperation on U.S. domestic issues really over the last 10 or 20 years. And that is one thing that is making this uh, negotiation so difficult.
0: Yeah, I suppose Nixon's elections also comes into equation here.
1: Undoubtedly, we've already started to see the conversation move towards allocating blame for what I think both parties perceive to be, and the White House for that matter, see as an inevitable shutdown in the coming days. And, you know, there will be a narrative about the impacts on the economy Mm. that plays into the election cycle next year.
0: All right, Jonathan, so let's wrap things up. What exactly do you think will need to take place in order to avert a shutdown? What needs to give way? Who will give way? How hopeful are you?
1: Well, in short, avoiding a shutdown is going to take an act of political courage, most likely by Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. There is a clear path to avoiding a shutdown, which is a bipartisan short-term funding extension that buys time for the Congress to consider these other spending bills in more detail. This would require Democratic support, however, and bringing a bipartisan bill to the floor of the House would almost certainly trigger a challenge to McCarthy's leadership um so that's kind of where we're at and it is that dynamic this trade-off between the political dynamics in the Congress and the uh, economic dynamics of a shutdown that unfortunately make a shutdown uh, relatively likely in the next coming days and may also make it a relatively prolonged one.
0: All right, we've been in conversation with Jonathan Wood. He is the Principal for Global Issues at Control Risks, helping us to break down what we can expect as U.S. policymakers trying to avoid a government shutdown. Jonathan, it's been great talking with you and looking forward to having you back on again. My pleasure. Thank you very much. All right, stay Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O audio at the App Store and Google Play.